Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 65, season 2 of the Anglo-Italian pod. We are currently live on YouTube and Twitch. If you are listening in podcast format, don't forget, next week at this very time, 8 p.m. Central European time, we're going to be live for the last Euro Review Monday of the season. We are planning to have some extra guests. If you'd like to come on and tell us something about the season of your club, you are more than welcome. For the time being, remember to follow us on Instagram at AngloItalianPod and on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod, but also on YouTube, LinkedIn, whatever you want, and give a cheeky little follow to our sponsor at Sports Club Maps. My name is Tommaso, and I'm joined by my very good friend, Bad Hair Don't Care, Rory Crisqualo. How are you doing? Hello. <laughs> Hello, listeners. Hello, Tommy. Guys, I cannot explain to you how hot it is in Milan at the moment. Today was my first um, cold shower after work day, so now my hair, I've not really been able to redo my hair, so hence the uh, wild mane going on. Tommy, how are you dealing with this heat? I, every year I struggle as it as it arrives. I've gone for a very drug dealing type of haircut, so very <laughs> short on the sides and on the back, and then just to look like a thug, I've left my stash <laughs> and my goatee. But um, no, man, it's uh, it's true. Like I was just just right now, I went to the supermarket to get three items that every single man needs in their house: Kleenex, toilet paper, and beer. Uh, and as I was coming back for a second, I was just like. Damn, it's so hot. And then I was like, Tommaso, think about it. You've complained about the weather until now, waiting for better weather. Now you deal with it, bud. I guess that the tough thing for teachers, you can't really wear shorts when you go to work. Do you wear shorts? Uh, No, 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 no. And I kind of asked at the school today. Obviously, in my job, I have to go to lots of different schools. And I was like, is it okay at this school if I wear shorts? And the answer was very much like, are you high like no you can't wear shorts to class yes i actually am is it allowed to be high in this school sorry i was just wondering no but yeah it's it's pretty hot and it's just gonna get worse this milan in summer one thing that i think it's always very hilarious about milan in the summer you will find like a couple of i'll just make up a nationality a couple of danish tourists that probably went on the ryanair website they found a round trip for Milan for like seven euros and they decided to spend the weekend there except that there there aren't many people there isn't much to do and it's unbearably hot and so you're just (laughs) like oh my god guys you've been tricked by the cheap price but you're not finding what you were in here for how was your weekend man uh it was good it was a good weekend I think um Saturday I went to the tattoo convention in Milan which was definitely worth a cheeky little walk around it was nice I've now kind of in my head planned the next 30 tattoos that I'm gonna get so that was quite a nice day um and then Sunday sat and watched Serie A and Premier League all day some absolutely cracking games um Serie A especially I really really enjoyed this weekend um Cheers. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, all in all, a good weekend, apart from the fact that I was like melting. How was your weekend, Tommy? My weekend was very good. I traveled to Modena for a friend's birthday on Friday night. It was a surprise party organized by his girlfriend. It was great. Loads and loads of AC Milan fans <clears throat> who are planning to take over the city of Reggio Emilia next week when AC Milan play Sassuolo away from home. So in case you're wondering, yes, I believe that the stadium is going to be all Rossonero. Also because 
the Sassuolo fans are known to be invisible. Nobody can see them. They're never there. Uh, they're just an entity, you know? And is then that, uh, it's a small town. It's big, yeah, it's a small town. They don't play in their hometown. They play in ah, Reggio Emilia, okay, not in Sassuolo. Yeah. So, and they, yeah, they don't have a huge fan base in general. They used to be nobodies until their former Late, their late former president uh, bought the team. But um, uh, then on Saturday, I went to my stepmom's birthday party, which was also pretty nice. good. And yesterday, I was at this barbecue where we managed to get the games on, and I was very much trying to jinx it so badly against AC Milan. <laughs> and then, just like a fool, I saw two beauties of goals from uh, Leao and Teo Hernandez. And when Teo Hernandez... Scored. I looked at my mate and was like, "Are we done? Shall I close the computer?" It was like, "We're done. Yeah, let's just close yep. the computer." <laughs> uh, yeah. Then later, fun's I over. It. Fun's over. Then yeah, later, yeah. I watched the Inter game. We're going to talk about it, and I, I thought we played well. But you know, it's just like it doesn't depend on us that much anymore. But I believe it's time to talk football. And this weekend was very heavy on goodbyes. There were a lot of players playing their last game uh, for their current club. We had a certain Holland who said goodbye to the Bayern, uh, to the Borussia Dortmund fans, and then was seen dancing in a Borussia Dortmund uh, tracksuit at a club. Did you see that? I did. I did. I've seen a lot of people being like, "Oh my God, Holland and Grealish are going to absolutely smash up Manchester when they get there." Like, I can only imagine how much. Like, I, I know that when Balotelli was in Manchester, like the the nightlife apparently took like a notch up. I feel like Holland is going to have a similar effect. Um, him and Grealish together, watch out Manchester. I think it could be a bit of a wild one. It looked like he was having a great time, and I do love that he just stayed in his tracksuit. Like, fair play. If you're going to be recognized, be recognized easily, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Not just like that guy looks like Holland. Yeah, that guy yeah. is Holland. Is we also had a certain Robert Lewandowski scoring on his last game for Bayern Munich. Where is he headed to, Rory? It looks like Barcelona could be pulling off the quickest turnaround in history. If we look at like a mere matter of months ago, Tommy, when we were talking about Barcelona being in the mud and how far away they are, and then you look at their squad now and all of a sudden you're going, wow, they all of a sudden, they just did it crazy quickly. It helps that the government bailed them out and apparently they've refinanced all their debts, etc., etc. That usually they've, helps, yeah. They've just got Coutinho off the books. Um, he's been signed by Aston Villa permanently now uh, for £17 million, which is nothing. But I was seeing that he's, his wages at Barcelona, Tommy, how much do you think he was on? He was on at least, I think, £6 million a year. He was on four hundred and eighty thousand pounds a week, so I'm not sure how that what that is. You can put yeah, that is yeah. two millions a month. That is uh, yeah. twenty four million a year. He was on four hundred eight. According to the Athletic, he was on four hundred eighty thousand pounds a week. He's taken a massive pay cut to one hundred twenty five thousand pounds a week. Oh, poor, poor him. Oh, he's yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Now, right. Um, but this is obviously how Barcelona have kind of done it. But if they get Lewandowski as well, that all of a sudden is like, it's a bit of a short-term fix. Obviously, Lewandowski is getting on. You can probably get two more years out of him, maybe three, considering his position and how he plays isn't massively dependent on pace. But it could be a hell of a signing for them. And like again, another step of them getting back to where they want to be. Impressive business from Xavi and Barcelona, really. However, it wasn't, uh, we'll get back to the goodbyes just a little parenthesis um 
it wasn't neither Island nor Lewandowski who won the Bundesliga player of the year. Rory, we might fucking suck at predictions, but this guy, we've been hyping him since the very first episode that we ever recorded. <laughs> fucking Christopher and Kunku, man. He who was else could it be? Who else could it possibly be? And now we all sit and anticipate who he's going to join, and we all hope it's our team. <laughs> like, Ooh, yeah, no, I, we, I, I genuinely don't know who he's going to be. I think United could weirdly come in for him, but I think, um, God, I really hope they don't. I hope he, if he doesn't go to Arsenal, he doesn't come to England. That's all he I had an incredible season, 20 goals and 15 assists, the four player of the match awards in the Bundesliga, and he was voting he was voted Bundesliga player of the season. Too bad they don't didn't get to the Europa League final. I feel like that could have been a nice ending to the season. They massively stacked it, but fair play to Rangers. Absolutely fair play to Rangers for getting that. Um in Kunku, I have to remind myself that he's French as well. Just another French player for them to just throw into their eleven somehow, and he right. still won't get in the team. Like PSG youth product, by the way. And yeah. then talking about great strikers, a very teary Luis Suarez saying goodbye mm. to the Atletico Madrid fans, who thanked him for delivering them the Spanish title last year. That was very nice to see. Where is he off to? You think, Rory? Oh, I could. I've not seen any links or anything there. I think maybe he's not an MLS player, is he? I think he's going to rock up in another major European league, but it'll just be maybe a rung down, maybe like France. or Maybe maybe he's a studied Italian in the meantime, and he can actually take a test. <laughs> yeah, maybe and this get time, a passport yeah, actually. For Juventus, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> quite possibly, quite possibly. Um, I feel like he's the archetypal Simeone player. He is like the envisionment on the pitch of Simeone um, yeah. Suarez. I feel like he just signifies everything about that team. And for like for him personally, like he's a player that lots of people have lots of problems with, some fairly, some less fairly. Um, but the way he, like after Barcelona treated him fairly badly, I think, the way he came and just turned up and delivered a title for the next team is very, very impressive. Very impressive. Yeah, and let's not forget that he's up there with the best strikers of his mm -hmm. generation alongside Benzema and Lewandowski. I think these are the three names that we're going to forever remember yes. about this generation of strikers. We are almost there, Rory. I know you want to talk about a certain Englishman. It was also time for goodbye for Lorenzo Insigne, 10 seasons as a true Napoletano playing with Napoli. Uh, quite a few titles, uh, actually, maybe not only one, I want to say. Um, but look, <laughs> look he's, yeah. there were banners all over the place. They were just like, man, you've always honored the shirt. You've done great. You've made us believe twice that we could win the Scudetto. And in the end, we choked it. But still, thank you for your time. That's and not now, all his fault, is it? No, it's, not, it's, all not, it's not all his fault. It's not all his fault. He's going to the MLS, going to play for Toronto. Already, I hear, I've never been there. A very Italian heavy city, mm -hmm. and he's going mm -hmm. to be. I think a lot of shirts are going to be sold by Toronto with the Insignia number 24 on the back. Also, Frank Kessi for AC Milan. However, there was no farewell at the end, uh, there were no banners unveiled because he had a, <laughs> he had a very quick turnaround with AC Milan. First, <laughs> yeah. I get the feeling they were like, thank you, but goodbye. Kind of thing. Yeah, like... yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Flipping the middle finger. No, and also, I, and he wasn't, I think that's great from the AC Milan fans. He wasn't booed nor anything. Yeah. The last thing you want is. There are 90 crucial minutes of football to be played. The last thing you want is to piss off somebody so they underperform and you slip 
accidentally. Dybala and Chiellini are saying goodbye to Juventus tonight in uh, 30 minutes from now. If you're watching us on YouTube, you might want to pop that screen open in 30 minutes. And then over in London, West Ham say a very teary goodbye to a certain Mark Noble, who was later also praised by Guardiola for an incredible career. Mm. Rory, I know that you've got something to say about good old Mark. Well, Mr. West Ham, as he's been called, um, 18 years at his boyhood club, captained it for 10 of those years. Um, He had lots of opportunities to leave, especially when West Ham went down in 2011, I want to say. He stayed with them, had his best goal-scoring season for them in the championship, got them promoted through the playoffs, and just... A player who has symbolized everything for West Ham fans. Like, so obviously, friend of the show, Tom, the first thing I did was message him and say, Look, mate, you need to give me t- Mark Noble's best moments so I know where to look, right? Like, what are his greatest moments in a West Ham shirt? And he just said to me, um, He wasn't the most technical player, but always gave everything. And his influence off the pitch and with the younger players is unbelievable. Many don't understand why we love him so much because he doesn't score every week, but it runs far deeper than that with him as he's one of us. And I think. It is just, yeah, he's a West Ham fan on the pitch who's been lucky enough and worked hard enough to captain his boyhood team his entire career. I think in a time when we're all guilty of talking about trophies as the only thing that counts, like we've just done with Insigne, right? There's there's a there's still a part of football, hopefully, where just loyalty can be respected and can be not even respected, like applauded and someone who's given their whole life to a team they love. And like the the send-off at the end, like he... Well, we've talked about it before. I get very emotional at footballers retiring and walking off the pitch for the last time. It genuinely gets me. And his speech at the end, there's a part... Just at the end, he says, um, I've got a lot of family here. namely 60,000 of them, which is a beautiful line. Very, very good line. I like that. But then he says, and you can feel him getting choked up and I got choked up and he was like, I just really hope I've done you proud. It's like, oh God, oh, I absolutely love it. Like, and you can just tell that he just loves everything about that club. He said now, like, he doesn't really know what his future holds. I think he's going to take a bit of a break. He made a joke about Craig Dawson having to mark Haaland next year and not him. I thought He'll that was brilliant. Beach. I thought yeah, that was yeah. brilliant. Um, and he's been asked if management's for him. It doesn't look like it. I think he'll have a job at the club. He's just going to take a bit of a break. And he's someone that off the pitch has always been like, He's just done lots of good, lots of charity work, like, and just a really, really nice guy. So it's a really great way to be able to, like, to be able to design your own, like, retirement, if you know what I mean. It doesn't happen for every player. And to get to orchestrate it yourself is beautiful. Like, 550 appearances he will have for West Ham, which is incredible. Um and I think, I think it's also it's also when you see the family, how the family reacted mm-hmm. to the player retiring. There was Mark Noble's girl who was absolutely in tears. <laughs> like his little yeah. girl, his daughter. She's she was probably born while he was a West Ham player. That's everything she's always known. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's fucking crazy to see sixty thousand people applauding your father. And it's <laughs> like, insane. damn it, like. What is it going to be? Or maybe she was just crying because now he's going to be around a whole bunch <laughs> and she cannot go out anymore. I don't know what she was crying for, but it was emotional to see also that the family was really, really feeling it. Yeah, no, it was, it was beautiful. And like, as Tom mentioned in the message he sent to me, like the work he's done with the younger players, like how he's 
nurtured and looked after Declan Rice. Like him and Declan Rice are like best mates. And you can see that he's just like coaching him. And like Declan Rice is good, is arguably a world-class midfielder already. If he isn't, he is going to be. And I think the character that he shows on the pitch and off the pitch can be like kind of attributed to Mark Noble as well, coaching him and t- showing him what it means to play for West Ham, what it means to be a professional footballer, etc. I think it's really a kind of sad... Uh, is this just a sad moment that he's retired? But we have to give him his props, like an incredible career. Um, score. He's now West Ham's joint second top Premier League goal scorer, tied with wow. Paolo Di Canio. Um only behind Mikel Antonio, of course. So I think just, yeah, just a great career. So fair play, nobs. Um, what a career. Well done. But I would talk right away of the West Ham Man City game because it was quite sick. But first, we've got a final to talk about. A final that brings to us a winner. The winner are the mighty Reds, led by Jurgen Klopp, who are able to overcome their opponents at the penalty shootout in the final of the FA Cup, the oldest trophy in world football. Yes, London is red. Apparently, the FA Cup goes to Klopp and his man. The quadruple is still alive. And Mason Mount has now lost seven of the seven finals he has ever played at Wembley. This is a stat line that I couldn't believe when I read it. Then I looked it up, and I've got it right here. He lost the FA Cup versus Liverpool in uh, 2022, just now. The Carabao Cup versus Liverpool also this year. The European Championship versus Italy alongside England. The FA Cup versus Leicester in 2021 and versus Arsenal in 2020. And the 2019 Playoff Championship versus Aston Villa. Mason, we've got a feeling. Whenever you play at Wembley, your team loses. What are we going to do, bud? He also missed the penalty. Rory, what have you got to tell us about this final? Um, Gareth Southgate, if England ever play a final again at Wembley, do not play Mason Mount. That's all I have to say. Just do not play him. There's obviously some kind of curse going on there. Um, I'm going to take a quick moment of schadenfreude and just mention that Chelsea have reached the last three FA Cup finals in a row and lost all of them, which is hilarious. Um, Not the greatest game. Like, as far as finals go, I feel like a lot of people are like beating Liverpool with the two finals, two nil-nils. They it really shouldn't have been nil nil. Liverpool had like absolutely battered Chelsea, really. Like Chelsea had a few chances, but Liverpool, they Luis Diaz should have had a hat trick. I feel like Liverpool were definitely the more proactive team, definitely the protagonists. They, I think, they if they'd have won in normal time, there wouldn't be any arguments there, really. Um, I think Chelsea just found it difficult to get out once Liverpool were pushing. Um, but then it helps at Liverpool now. You can see it in their legs. They are so tired. The players are just knackered. Like, the quality isn't there. The press isn't quite there as intensely. Um, and I think the second it got to, like, the 80th minute, I was like, okay, this is going to be penalties. Like, nothing's going to happen in extra yeah, time. Yeah, nothing really happened in overtime, am I right? No, not really. Yeah. Not really. It was just kind of, I think Liverpool, again, pressed a little bit. A few openings for Chelsea, but yeah, it was kind of pretty obvious that it was going to be penalties. Um, Allison, who actually has a pretty average record from penalties, managed to pull off a really good save from Mason Mount. That one, right? Um, it's a pretty decent save from the penalty spot. Um, I noticed a few things with the penalties. The fact that Allison handed the ball to the Liverpool players every single time, he got the ball before, um, before Mendy was able to. 
um, and he was handing it to his teammates. I think maybe just a psychological thing, taking a bit of the pressure off, being like, come on, you can do this, right? And there was a thread that I saw on Twitter, which I didn't know if it was utter bullshit or quite interesting. And it was talking about um, how the two managers handled the huddle and deciding the penalties. So Klopp went up to each player individually, asked them if they were ready to take the penalty, gave them instructions, and then did it individually, right? And then they got in a huddle, gave a rousing speech, on you go, they were ready. Chelsea, they were still, Tuchel was still deciding during the break who was going to take the penalties. He then got into a huddle and in front of everyone nominated, like, you're going to take a free kick, you're going to take a penalty, you're going to take a penalty, you're going to take a penalty. And someone was talking about, is that people are more likely to say yes when everyone's looking at them, even if they don't particularly feel ready to take one. Whereas how Klopp had done it, if they didn't feel comfortable, he could have moved on to someone and nobody would know that they've turned that penalty down. Right. Mm. I thought it was quite an interesting thing and something again, that we've talked about like Klopp loves marginal gains. And I think all these things, he really thinks about it and works it out. Like, right. What is the best way for me to do this to relieve the pressure? I think maybe Chelsea were just a bit less prepared or it could all be bullshit. I don't know. I think the I think the best penalty taking story is from Marcello Lippi in the Italy France final. He was just like <clears throat> I had to come up with the four with the four players that were going to take the first four penalties. And then I'm talking to my assistant and I'm just like, fuck it, guys. Like, who is the fifth? And in that moment, Fabio Grosso walks in front of him. He's just like, Fabio, you take the fifth. And Gross is like, Me? He's like, dude, you got us the penalty versus Australia. <laughs> you scored, uh, you scored the, the crucial goal against Germany. You're the guy. Do you feel it? And it's like, I guess. Took it and won. Look, I don't know. I just read a thing about Klopp that they, the Liverpool, we've seen it already with the throw-ins and other, other things, marginal gains, as you call them. They've been working with a team of neuroscientists mm. that offered them help to increase their penalty-taking performance. And it says that apparently it's paid off. I don't really know what they've been doing. What have they been doing, do you think? It's I have like, no idea. I've, honestly, I don't even know where to begin. There's a documentary with Trent Alexander-Arnold where he's coaching his eyesight. Um, and there's like a guy who's worked with baseball players. I feel like they do anything they can, no matter how kind of out there and experimental it is. He's got a group of players and staff that are willing to try anything in the pursuit of it getting you that difference, that one time, that 1%. And I think that's kind of what creates champions, especially in the modern game. Like we've talked about how City and Liverpool are taking the Premier League to the highest level it's ever been really. At that point, you do need to get to like whatever you can to, to make it work. I feel like psychology is, I feel like it's something Arsenal players should have been doing for a very, very long time and very clearly weren't and maybe need to do more. Um, I feel like it's still a part of the game and a part of coaching that's like undervalued massively. Um, yeah. It's like mentally you need to be in the right place for anything to happen, right? Yeah, true. By the way, I disagree with you on the fact that Chelsea were not in the game. I think Marcos Alonso especially had an incredible game. I know you dislike the guy, but whenever I see the guy play, he's a constant threat. Like offensively, he's always there. Uh, he got a crossbar from an incredible mm -hmm. free kick that nobody expected to go anywhere near goal. Alisson was struck, didn't really move. He had a few other plays where I was just like, damn, man, what a player. I remember him back at Fiorentina. 
And uh, I feel like he's been performing a lot for Chelsea or ever well, since, since Chilwell there. since Chilwell got injured, he's had to come in, obviously. And he's been very he's, he is a decent player. He's a very decent player. I think like Chelsea, they did have their moments. I just think Liverpool overall. Look, I think he, if it like, had ended one nil for Chelsea in the 90 minutes, it would have been a little lucky, but not the luckiest thing on earth. Like I would have mm-hmm. seen something similar already. Another thing I want to say about Liverpool, Luis Diaz, fucking incredible. If you didn't know that that guy came from Porto in January, you would be thinking that that guy is like Klopp's son for the level of understanding that he's got of his surroundings, where he's at in the pitch, like who make who to make the pass to, when to take the shot, when to lay it back. Just fucking incredible. And again, this praise both to him and to Liverpool's scouts were just like, he's the guy we're going to bring in. And again... You follow English football more than I do, but I have never heard anything about the Liverpool locker room getting heated because there are five players playing for three spots and it feels like the rotation is perfect. Mm. You've got Luis Diaz, Salah, Mane, Firmino and Jota. And these five kind of like go around and it works perfectly. The times that Firmino comes in pretty regularly from the bench, he always delivers scored these crucial goals in the Premier League and in the Champions League, and the same goes to all the other players involved. I feel like Salah and Mane are really the only ones that are constantly there. Yeah, I think a major part of management as well, like in squad management, is making everybody feel involved, even when they're not. Like, And when you see teams like, I don't know, this season... It could be Arsenal, it could be United, it could be, I don't know, Tottenham. Like, when it's not a happy changing room and players aren't playing, then it starts coming out in the press, you start hearing noises. But when you're winning and when your manager is able to make everyone feel involved, it helps when you're in every single competition as far as you can. So you need to rotate as a matter of course, otherwise your players will die. Like So it definitely helps that they've reached the end of the Carabao Cup They've won the Carabao Cup, reached the end of the FA Cup, won that. They've reached the final of the Champions League and they're still in the title race. Like They're going to play 65 games this year, 63 games, I think. Um, So you definitely need a squad at that point. But I think being able to manage it and keep everyone happy, even when they're not involved, is such a like vital part of management and man management. And yeah, Klopp seems to do it so well. Um, With Luis Diaz, I remember Andy Brassel, who's on the Football Ramble, um, incredible journalist. He covers Portugal a little bit, and he was talking about when Luis Diaz was being linked with Liverpool and Tottenham, and he described him as the most Klopp player he's ever seen. And I never, I didn't really know what that meant. And I saw him, and I was like, "Oh sh- no, he actually is. He is the most Liverpool player that's possible. Just quick, direct, like tricky, like intense. Everything about his game is amazing. He is." a pleasure to watch and he could have had two or three arguably should have had two or three he was very very unlucky but he kept getting chances the Chelsea defense could not keep hold of him and it's it's scary that he's only been in the Premier League for not even six months and he's tearing it up like once he gets comfortable in this league the guy's gonna be unstoppable this club's third national title with Liverpool the sixth overall title for with Liverpool and I was just looking at his career on Wikipedia man you know when you see like I don't know if it happens to you or to the listeners or to anybody or only just me when I look at the careers of a football player or of a manager that I don't really know I kind of want to see just a few teams like long spells at each club and I kind of I'm kind of 
turned off when I see that a manager has been at like 22 teams and then he was great at one of these clubs. With Klopp, he spent seven years as a manager at Mainz, seven years as a manager at Borussia Dortmund, and now he's on his seventh year as a manager at mm. Liverpool. Like, what a career, man. And I feel like we see this less and less with managers. Like, they're given this much time to, like, create whatever system they need to create, whatever philosophy they need to create at the club. So also props to Liverpool, who, when Klopp came mm. in, were not at a good place. No. We will see if he can deliver them the second Champions League of his tenure, Rory, a quick, quick question. 40 seconds before we round up Coppa Italia, uh, sorry, uh, Serie A Premier League. I want to ask you if Salah is going to be back for the Champions League final. I think he, even if he's not fit, he might force himself to come back. I feel like he's going to be, we've seen how pumped up he is for this Real Madrid revenge, right? We've seen how driven he is by this. I think even if he's not ready, he will kind of force himself back. It'll be up to Klopp and his staff to decide if he's actually able to play or not. It looked like a pretty, like, it looked like not a serious injury, but enough to keep him out for a few weeks. Um, his record in finals is very, very unlucky. Um, and he's still yet to score in a major final, which is a bit of a mad stat. Kind of like Thierry Henry never scored in a major final. Kind of blows your mind a little bit. Um, Salah, the same. But yeah, it, it would be it would be a better final with him on the pitch. Let's say that, right? And our friend, the Hopeless Wanderer podcast, says before Klopp joined Liverpool, there was a lot of doubts about his credentials. Mm. After all, he didn't win much at Dortmund. They must have talked to him and seen that he had established. Like, like honestly, Borussia Dortmund, there you will the team that the 95% of the listeners that are not Borussia Dortmund supporters, they will remember, is the team under Klopp. It's the Marco, mm-hmm. Ro- Marco Reus, Mario Götze, Lewandowski, Gundogan, Mikitarian, all those guys, Hummels, um, the goalkeeper also, um, Weiden Fadler. Like all that team yeah. that you remember, but Borussia Dortmund was under Klopp. And there is a reason why then it's just names, but you don't really remember the lineup. But There's also a the point about the fact that when... Yeah, how it ended at Dortmund as well. Like, they were near the relegation zone when he left. Like, it really did not end well at Dortmund. So, it could have been fair for Liverpool to have some doubts and be like, oh, actually, maybe this isn't the guy. And I know that, like, he came very, very close to joining Arsenal, but we decided to offer Wenger a new contract. Um, So, there there were a few clubs after him. Um, But, yeah, Liverpool obviously saw the fact that, like, they knew that because it had been so long for them not winning the league and it had been like they knew the whole club needed a needed a a, a transformation after FSG and stuff like that. I think they definitely were like, right, we need someone who can set a legacy. Kind of like what Arsenal are trying to do with Arteta now. They gave him the time, they gave him the reins and for them it's paid off. It really, really has paid off. I have seen talk now of on Sky Sports them saying he's the greatest Premier League manager alongside Alex Ferguson. Let's slow down a little bit. He's still only won one Premier League, right? Let's not put Wenger too far down the list too quickly, please. Or Jose, yeah, no, way, I, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, he's well, done an incredible Robert. job at Liverpool, but let's slow down a little bit. Like, let's slow down. Beautiful. By the way, guys, if you really want to get an insight on the world of management and coaching, you should listen to our previous episode, season two, episode 64. We were lucky enough to have a... Uh, Fairly glad you won't say. Um, on his name is Neil Bamford, and he was, of course, the head coach. 
playing a big part of Arsene Wenger's tenure at Arsenal. He's got incredible stories about the best goals he's seen, the best players he's seen score against his own team. You got to check it out. It's the interview with Neil Bamford. It's up on YouTube, on Spotify, and uh, in podcast format on Apple Podcasts and whatnot. Rory, we've got 27 minutes to go through Premier League and the Serie A. Where do you want to start from? Um, let's do a bit of Serie A and then we'll do Premier League. Let's do Serie A first. Shall we talk the relegation in Serie A and the Premier League and then we go title, uh, title? Okay, in, uh, Serie yeah, A let's and finish the with League. a bang. Let's go, right. All right, so in the Serie A, we've got two teams that are officially relegated. One of the two, unless something of astronomical proportions happens, could still be in Serie A. I'm talking about Genoa. You may ask, what needs to happen? I read an article about it, and I was just like, too complicated. It's not going to happen. Genoa are relegated. So it's Venezia and Genoa who go back to Serie B. Venezia after one season and Genoa after 15. Off the top of my head, I want to say that they were in the brink of relegation for 14 of those seasons. And now they're finally out. Unfortunately, Sampdoria have removed officially a video from their Instagram account that I found hilarious. So a little background story. Every year in Italy, we have this music festival called Festival di Sanremo. And this year, there was, um, there was a, a singer that came on stage and he sang, she sang a song that said, Con le mani, con le mani, con le mani, ciao ciao, con i piedi, con i piedi, con i piedi, ciao ciao, which means I say goodbye with my hands, I say goodbye with my feet, <laughs> I say goodbye with my ass, etc., etc. So after Genoa were officially relegated, the Sampdoria um, social media manager, they posted this video of the highlights from the derby that included a goal, so goodbye with your feet, and the penalty save, so goodbye with your hands. <laughs> they never mentioned Genoa in this video, but it was very clear that it was directed at them. By the way, I just want to say one thing. Genoa, potentially one of the best, some of the best supporters in Italy. The away section in Napoli was packed with fans. There is a great picture of the players kind of like with their heads down in front of their curva. And the curva are just singing. They're waving their flags. So a lot of respect. Even their president said the only Serie A level type thing that this team has is the supporters. We cannot thank them enough, which is kind of harsh from your president, right? <laughs> that, but, that is a damning statement, my God. Yeah, but yeah. look, I, I said it, I really wanted Genoa to go back because they've been like the mattress of Serie A for way too long. Right now, they go back to Serie B, and I think, honestly, generally, it could be it could be good for the club. Italy's oldest football club. They need a team that matches it because they have been, since I've been in this country, which is knocking on five years now, they have been terrible to watch every single time. Every year I've thought, okay, this is the year. Kind of reminds me of like, I don't know, like when Watford were in the Premier League for a sustained period and then I was like, okay, you need to just go now. Or Bournemouth, like you need to just go now. They need that. We've talked, like you said, we've talked about it. They need that reset. Hopefully, they get it in Serie B. They'll probably be straight back up, but it is quite a difficult league to get out of. 
It is. It is. It is. I'm very excited for Lecce and Cremonese getting Oof. here. The playoffs are underway, but first we need to talk about Sampdoria. They have just won 4 0 against Oof. Fiorentina. Fiorentina, don't you remember that you're still fighting to get a spot in the Conference League? Um, they really, they've been very poor. Fiorentina, Spezia have also sealed their. Uh, they've also punched their ticket for next season in Serie A with a big win over. Udinese, 3-2. They won coming back from one down. Well, do you want to talk relegation in the Premier League and I'll try to fix this? Okay, good. Um, yeah, in the Premier League, um, Everton, Everton, Everton. I think I said it on the previous show. They love to turn up for the big games, but the little games they struggle with. Now, it all started. It's kind of a bit of a bad omen, I think. The Everton fans um, set off fireworks outside the hotel that they assumed the Brentford players were staying at. They hadn't travelled down until Saturday morning. So, uh, they or Sunday morning even. So, the fans missed and the players missed. Now, again, we talked about Leeds, right? You're in a relegation battle. You've got a fight, right? Two red cards in two games. Everton outdid them. Two red cards in one game. Um, Tommy has gone. It's just me. Um, so, Brathwaite getting sent off for a fairly clumsy tackle. I think it was maybe a little bit soft, but it was last man. He was through on goal. Probably a red card. The Rondon cameo was utterly, utterly ridiculous. On in the 84th minute, sent off in the 88th in a ridiculous tackle that was just a complete, like, it just... Hello, he's back. Um, The tackle was just a complete, like, I can't be bothered. I want to go home. He went home. And then Lampard gave him a high five as he walked off, which I found thought was really a bit bizarre. He should have... I don't know. He's just two-footed someone after you brought him on four minutes ago. I don't know if I'd be, like, talking to him. Um, For Brentford, Christian Eriksen, again, has just been... Whoever... it Like, I assume he's not going to be at Brentford next year. If he is, then fair play. But the difference he has made since Christian Eriksen joined uh, Brentford um, against Norwich on March the 5th, only Tottenham, Liverpool, and City have won more points than Brentford. He's been unbelievable for them. He's become that creative key the metronome in midfield he is still absolutely at his peak um just what a player he has been unbelievable um Everton just oh this could be I I keep I feel schizophrenic when I'm talking about them because one week I'm like okay no 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 they'll stay up then the next week oh actually they're pretty fucked um they've now got to play on Thursday they've got Crystal Palace at home which is definitely not a given, and then they've got ever they've got Arsenal away, so they've got two pretty tricky games. Um, they've really not done themselves any favors. Brentford at home should really have been a game that they were looking to win, but it does mean that down at the bottom of the table, Everton are in 16th position on 36 points, having played 36 games. Leeds are in 17th, played 37 on 35 points, and Burnley are 18th on 34 points, having played 36. So it all rides on Burnley and their game as well. Everton massively need Burnley to start dropping points. They were really unlucky against Spurs this weekend. I think the penalty, even me not being biased, I think the penalty was very, very, very soft. Um, But Burnley have got Aston Villa away next, which is definitely not an easy game. Then their last game of the season is Newcastle at home. So Everton... 
might just stay up, but it won't be down to them. It will be down to the other teams around them, I think. Um, do we think Brentford would have lost this if Everton had 11 players? I think arguably yes. I think like what I saw from the Everton performance, um, like I said, I think in big games they turn up and then against the lesser teams, the so-called lesser teams, they seem to just put in half a shift or just do crazy shit like this. And I think it, it kind of shows that Lampard maybe tactically isn't the best and maybe he's just very good at getting players fired up for games which is a part of management but it's not sustainable um across the season i think um so it means the relegation battle is still very much alive probably going to go down to the last day watford and norwich already been relegated but we knew that already rory where did they cut off earlier what was he talking about oh i don't know tommy that's a long time ago that was a long time ago. That was seven minutes ago. But what I wanted to say, I will... So we, what happened? We had some technical problems during the live stream. I had. That part is going to be cut out uh, for you Spotify or Apple Podcast listeners. But I was talking interesting shit. So I'm going to go back for a second. We're go. talking about Salernitana and Cagliari. It goes all the way to the last match day. It's going to be Venezia-Cagliari. Venezia already relegated. Cagliari need to win away, but it might not be enough because above them is Salernitana, who take on Udinese at home. Now, Salernitana, they could already be mathematically safe if it wasn't for a certain Diego Perotti missing his crucial penalty at the end of the game. But it was, yes, Perotti's fault, but at the same time, it was Empoli's goalkeeper, Vicario, who had a hell of a game. He he had at least five incredible saves plus the penalty save. And just when he started thinking about it, the post-match uh, uh, interview comes and he says, yes, I'm on loan from Cagliari. And today I was playing actually for Cagliari. I, there was not a, any way that I would let the Salernitana win. It's too important for my club. So I hope that I made them proud. Maybe, maybe he could turn out to be the crucial factor in Cagliari staying up in Serie A. So you see, internet, you did me wrong. I was actually talking in smart shit. <laughs> did you see the saves from Vicario? I did, I did. He had a hell of a game. He had an unbelievable game. Um, yeah, Salernitana, Diego Perotti, man, you've got uh, these are massive, huge moments, huge moments, especially that equal late equalizer against Cagliari as well. Some big, big moments for Salernitana. They've done incredible to still be alive at this point, um, but you need to be putting that away. Should we very quickly talk title races? We've only got 15 minutes. Yeah, title races. Well, um, let's go Europe first. I will go super quickly, and then I will go right into uh, the, um, the Scudetto talk. We've got uh, Atalanta and Fiorentina, and Roma, and Lazio, all in the space of three points, they, there is one of these teams that will miss out on Europe. Well, Atalanta lost over the weekend against AC Milan away from home. We're going to get to it. So they're currently at 59 points outside of the Europa territory. Then we've, of the European territory, we've got Fiorentina, who just lost 4-0 against Sampdoria away from home. Also at 59 points, but above Atalanta. And then Roma and Lazio with respectively 60 and 62 points currently on Europa League territory. The last game of the tonight, Lazio are actually playing Juventus because they've got one game in hand. Um, Roma are playing their last match day against Torino away from home. Fiorentina will be playing 
Juventus at home. Watch that game if you want to see an interesting Vlaovic welcoming over in Firenze. And then Atalanta have got their last match day at home against Empoli. Their fans are not happy about the season. They've been saying it. I follow them on Instagram and Twitter. They've been saying it for about two months. The season is over. At least get Mm -hmm. us to fucking Europe and we'll take it from there next season. Juventus have got nothing to play for. Napoli are solid in third place. It's all between Inter Milan and AC Milan on the last match day at Serie A. Now, before I talk about the games, I just want to say that Simone Inzaghi has indeed won as a football player, a Scudetto being two points down on the last match day back in 2000, back in 2000 <laughs> alongside... Sorry. We don't have the TH in Italian. You think I know, it's easy I know, I know. Sometimes it just it stumble upon it. It was childish to laugh, I'm sorry. No, it's fine, yeah. it's fine. It did sound stupid. It's the beer, probably, on an empty stomach. But he did win it as a player, however... In that occasion, Juventus were above Lazio by two points. They lost in Perugia, but that game in, in Perugia, it was pouring rain. And I don't think in today's football it would have been played. Let's talk first about the team that are set to win the Scudetto. They only need one point in 90 minutes of football away at Sassuolo to seal it and bring their 19th title to their fans. Look, all jokes aside, all bias aside... I was at this barbecue with a a good friend. There was music going on. We were watching the game, kind of just eyeing towards there to see what was going on. And yes, we were trying to jinx it as hard as we could, which is something that I haven't done that much and that intensely in my life. Of course, I did during the final in Istanbul back in the day. But this was the first time that I found myself in this position in quite some time, especially against AC Milan. And look, number one, I despise Juventus. AC Milan, the only thing they've got wrong is that they've got terrible colors and they're from the same city as Inter Milan. But am I happy that regardless of what happens, the title will be back in the city of Milan for the second year in a row? Yes, I am happy. I have great fond memories of this strong rivalry between Inter Mm. and AC Milan and it's bringing banter with our friends and it's fun. Do I want to see Milan in red and black no i don't i will tell you my plan for next weekend later but look when i was watching this game and i saw the way that ac milan played atalanta were never really threatening mm. ac milan wanted they wanted badly yeah they really want badly. It. you can see it the players know now they know i like... think i think they've they've shown it not only yesterday but they've shown it in the last few games rafael leao has officially exploded this season and props to AC Milan for, you know, keeping hold of him. They could have given him away a few seasons back. They didn't. They were just like, there is a player in this guy. We're going to keep him there. He scored uh, 13 league goals, I want to say, this season. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of them has, have been crucial, especially in these recent run of fixtures that AC Milan have had. He scored in every single game from in the, in the last four Serie A games. He's been crucial. It's beautiful to play. The goal that he scored... Yes, Musso should have closed his leg, god damn it. There but was possibly at- a foul in the build-up as well. I thought at first that the Atlanta, play- Atlanta player was fouled. I think it might have been a little bit soft, but you've seen it given. The run and header from Liao to create space for himself is very, very impressive, though. And the yeah, finish that's- was beautiful. It's actually only his 11th goal that goes to credit a team that has worked uh, as a unit. Mm-hmm. You know, like they don't have like Inter Milan do their yeah. top goal scorer, <laughs> which is way above the others. They've worked 
as a team the entire season. Um, he's on 11 goals and six assists this season. And then, honestly, an iconic goal that I will never forget watching it live. It was, man, what the fuck? Taylor Weyer Hernandez. Hernandez, what's he doing? Running Taylor from one Hernandez. end of the pitch to the other. Yeah. It's insane. George Hernandez or Teo Weyer, <laughs> whatever you want to call him. He just goes, I don't understand. Yes, I do understand why Cop Miners didn't follow him since he had already been booked with a yellow card. But I don't see how Atalanta let that guy run for an entire for the yeah. entire length of the pitch. I think it was an incredible goal. Incredible. I will forever remember that. And this goes to credit. I think the best left back we've got in Europe, but um, besides he's also that, one I think of the most irritating players to watch. I have to so say, he's very, very irritating. And not only very because irritating. he's French, there is already the fact that he's French, <laughs> and then there is a, a whole lot of other layers on top. Uh, I completely agree with you. But what a goal! What a finish! He's AC an incredible Milan player. Wanted. He's the best left back in the world at the moment. I think he's like yeah. he is incredible. Um, and it, it felt like as I was watching the game, because it was nil-nil for a very long time, right? And I was like, oh, maybe they're getting a little bit nervous. The second that first goal went in, the layout goal, and I was like, okay. But that second goal felt like the kind of the crowning moment where I was like, ah, that'll be the moment where they look back and go, that was the goal that won us the Scudetto. Like, I think that will be like, it is an iconic goal. Beautiful moment. Um, the atmosphere in the San Siro looked insane the place was rocking um i love that they seem to have adopted zombie nation it was sick i didn't even know the name of that song was zombie nation by the way guys i was wrong liao has not scored in the last four games but the last game he assisted two for a certain Sandro Tonali. So definitely he's been the main the, ma- the main man in this team. Last thing to say about AC Milan, fucking Ibrahimovic doing a crack on the AC Milan bus. Did you see that? As they were driving through their fans, he goes next to the driver and he starts like bumping on the fucking window and then he broke it. And you see the Oof. bus driver pointing at him like, you fucking idiot. You're going to pay for it. Um, that's the last thing I'm going to say. To have adopted a kind of like a, a a background role, he doesn't seem to want to make it all about him. It's kind of like he just wants to get the team there and see them win the league. It feels almost the most humble we've seen Zlatan. Look, because like the, the most, he's he's not making it all about himself, and that's a surprise, I think. Look, I'm gonna do a quick Instagram search right now. Wouldn't be surprised if he had posted a picture of a lion just right now. No, he hasn't. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Maybe he's become a maybe he's maybe become maybe a team maybe yeah. his forties have hit him pretty hard. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Um, on the other hand, we got on the last match day. AC Milan play away at Sassuolo. Inter play at home against the Sampdoria. Sampdoria already safe. Inter need the win if you want to believe. Both games are going to be played at the same time at six. PM on a Sunday. Inter, look, I look, I got nothing to say about this team. They went to Cagliari. <laughs> it was everything but a nice game. Yeah. They won it quite comfortably. Matteo Damian taking flight for that goal for the one nil. We go up to nil with Lautaro Martinez. Cagliari score a beautiful goal, in my opinion. Andanovic, you need to stretch the stars, baby. And then we make it through one. I think we're in it. I think we're in it until the very last match day. I'm already coming to terms with the fact that we're not going to win this title. If we 
won it. However, I think that Sunday would be fucking incredible. So let's go, guys. Let's <laughs> win the last game. It's not in our hands anymore, but let's be professional till the very end. Mm-hmm. No meltdowns. It's the last game against our supporters. Keep playing the way you have. And I think that we've got a chance. Like until the mathematics mm-hmm. say that we're wrong, we're going to believe in it. So there are a lot of moments that flash in front of my eyes right now of the moments where we could have won it. Lautaro Martinez missing the penalty in the derby. Um, then, of course, about Radu not forgetting how to stop a football. There are many moments. But look, man, um, we've won two titles this year. Of course, this is the one that won the most badly for the second star in our short. Right now, there is going to be that cross down rivalry for who's going to get the second star earlier. We will see. It's all to be played next Sunday. Rory, we've got five minutes. What's going on in the Premier League? Mark Noble giving some hope to Liverpool. Well, it's not over yet, people. Um, Just as we were saying, Man City were the mentality monsters. They go 2-0 down to an incredible Jared Bowen, who somehow has still not being called up to the England squad at any point. He has now equaled Dimitri Paye's incredible record at West Ham in 15-16. He, two incredible, like, just two very classic Jared Bowen goals. Rapid, great finishes, hard work. What a player. Unbelievable. The second half, obviously, Man City came out. Jack Grealish scoring a goal. He's come up with a few key moments recently, starting to um, kind of, find his way in this Guardiola system, maybe. Um, A bit of a lucky goal, nevertheless, but a goal. Um, The equaliser then came from... Who scored the equaliser? I can't remember. Um, It was a Kufalon goal. He was really, really unlucky. Diving header. Beautiful finish, to be fair, Vladimir. Uh, Not bad. But then... Mares had the chance to win the game with a late, late penalty, which the referee, I think, was very keen to give. I don't know if it's a little bit soft or not, but Fabianski pulled off an amazing save to keep it 2-2. Fabianski still, for me, the best goalkeeper outside the kind of... Well, West Ham are top six now, aren't they? But outside the top four, let's say, um, the best goalkeeper out there. He really, he's been unbelievable for West Ham. Great save. And now this means that at the top of the table... Liverpool have played played 36 games and are on 86 points. Man City have played 37 games and are on 90. So if Liverpool win their game in hand, which is against... Let me scroll down. It's against Southampton away tomorrow or today, as you guys are listening to it on Spotify. Liverpool also need a massive goal swing. Do bear in mind that Southampton haven't had their annual 9-0 loss yet. So keep your eye out for that. It could happen. That would put Liverpool one point behind City with one game left. So it still depends on City losing their final game. It probably won't happen, but they do play Aston Villa at home on the final day. Not an easy game. Definitely not an easy game, but a great result for West Ham and a great performance to send off Mark Noble. Um, And I think Mark Noble said as well to Moyes, don't bring me on just out of sentimentality. If we need to win the game, like you don't have to bring me on. Don't do that. And he brought him on and he helped see out the game. And it was a great performance from West Ham all around. Um, And yes, City... You could see Guardiola was pretty fuming with Mares. Although I think Mares has been one of City's best players this year. Can I? What do you think? Very quickly, what do you think of David Moyes going with his arm like this 
like fucking off uh, Guardiola when uh, Fabianski saved the penalty. What do you think about it? Moyes kind of he has had a few sideline spats with people. I feel like he does get a little bit mouthy. I'm all for it. I think this week there's been loads of Premier League players, just uh, loads of Premier League managers just chipping off at each other. Not even chipping off, just like going for each other. Antonio Conte calling out Arteta. People bringing up the fact that Antonio Conte has been done for match fixing. Klopp having to go at Pep. Pep having to go at Klopp. Feels like all the managers. The stress of the season is finally getting to them, I think. But yeah, I'm all about sideline drama. I love it. Yeah, I love it too. And um, I, I just, I, I saw this picture and then I was like, oh, great. Like, there's going to be some hilarious comments. And then it was just like a bunch of people being like, that is not respectful towards your opponent. It's just like so bad. Oh my God, he's a human being. He's going through something right now. And just like, aren't we losing part of the yeah. banter in football? Like, come on. And you saw it. I'm sure that after the game, they must have shaken fucking hands. But it's just the moment of just like, yes, you thought you were going to overcome us, huh? But you didn't. We Fabianski saves the penalty. Rory, if you've got nothing more to say, go for it. You do. I've got one last thing. We have to just say our absolute utmost respect to Jake Daniels, uh, the 17-year-old at Blackpool who has become the second openly gay footballer in the UK. Um, He's just scored 30 goals in the reserves for Blackpool. Apparently a very, very exciting youngster. But besides that, an incredibly brave young man. We've just got to make sure that the praise for this and the respect for this is louder than the inevitable wankers that start chipping off at him. This hopefully makes an atmosphere more open for everybody who can actually live their lives as who they are without people judging them. And I just have to say the size of the balls this guy has, like you are just putting a target on your back and I cannot explain enough how much i respect you for what you've done like just fair play absolutely fair play fair play good job Roy, for bringing that up i didn't know and i'm delighted to hear this has happened i just wanted to leave you guys with two quotes we don't usually do this on a monday night but fabio caressa very famous italian uh, uh radio and tv broadcaster mainly tv he was the voice of the italy france final in 2006 sometimes he speaks a lot of bullshit the majority of the time but overall, he's a nice guy. And he was interviewed by this podcast by an Italian singer and an Italian YouTuber. I'm not even going to say the name. Yeah, I actually should. It's Muschio Selvaggio by Fedez and Luisa Sal. I'm not the biggest fan of their personalities. <laughs> but I'm going to watch the episode. I haven't watched it yet. But here are two quotes, both about England, Rory. The first one is oh. very funny. During the broadcasting of Italy-England, at the European Championship, it felt like being in Amsterdam. A guy next to me <laughs> lit up a joint the size of the Eiffel Tower. I swear to God, it was hard to do my job. And then the next quote was, who's going to win the next World Cup? I'm sure about it. England. Because they've got the toughest league during the months of November and December. So they're going to make it. That's actually a very good point, I think. That is a good point. I will take that. Anybody, any reason that says that we're going to win the win the World Cup, I will absolutely take. I'll be honest. And this sound, <laughs> this sound that you heard in the background was Rory Crisqualo putting his phone right in front of the computer to make sure he doesn't miss a single minute of the Arsenal game. He said, before we started recording this episode... I don't even want to think about it. I don't even want to think about it. Rory, come on. You got to believe, bud. 
Okay, I'm going to address the North London derby very, very quickly, right? I'm going to address quickly. it Rory, you have to. You have to. You have to. Oh, God, we were awful. We absolutely shot ourselves in the foot. Rob Holding, you've been great for us this season. You were just, what are you doing? The occasion massively got to us is part of being an inexperienced squad. I still think the penalty was a little bit soft and it did change the game. But overall, Tottenham definitely deserved it. It's just very awesome. It was never going to be comfortable. We were never, ever, ever going to make it comfortable. And the fact that we beat Manchester United, we beat Chelsea, there was no way life was going to be good enough to beat Tottenham as well within the same month or six weeks. So fair play, Tottenham. Great performance. Son was unbelievable. Kulisewski gave us all sorts of problems. Um, Kane obviously scoring two again in the fucking derby. He scores every derby. You have to say fair play to um, Spurs. I do have to say to Conte, though, fuck off. Like, for someone who moans so much to turn around and say Arteta should moan less, man, just fuck off. <laughs> Rory, one last question. Not even 30 seconds. It's your friend, the Spurs from Minneapolis, Max Hager, asking you thoughts on Arteta's post-North London Derby behavior? Absolutely fair play. Absolutely fair play. Fuck it. I'm not answering questions on that. I think the penalty was I think the penalty was soft. I think if that is Arsenal, if that's in the Tottenham box on an Arsenal player in the Tottenham Stadium, there's no way we get that. But Tottenham got it. Um, I think it was a soft penalty, but the red card was absolutely right. It was a definite red card, stupid from Rob Holding. Um, I just think the penalty changed the game a little bit. I think for Arteta. It's maybe a bit of a, like a Mourinho trick, not only just directly quoting him as like, if I say if I say anything, I'll be in trouble, um, but just kind of deflecting from a terrible team performance. So I think, yeah, okay, fine. Arteta is a bit of a knob. At times he is a knob. He does annoy me, um, but I think fair play. And we're going to say goodbye to you with a comment on our live chat from Ball underscore. We don't know who you are, bud, but thank you for joining and tell your friends to join as well. He says something quite interesting. I believe that the next World Cup, World Cup will be the last with the United States, not protagonists. By now, they have been trying to invest in the sport and the generation of phenomena is on the way. Look, buddy, I actually think that the United States are not not going to be protagonists in this World Cup. I don't think how, I don't know how far they're going to go, but I think they've got a shout at going pretty far. Also, Pulisic had a pretty good game in the FA Cup final. If only the guy could finish. Guys, we're five minutes and 20 seconds over. That's a pretty big if. Yeah, if, yeah. yeah. We're going to say goodbye to you. We're going to be uh, with you again on Friday with our episode number 66 of season two. If you want to go on our Spotify and just scroll back, there are plenty of interesting interviews, the latest of which you don't want to miss, especially if you're an Arsenal fan. Guys, and we've got a very, very big guest this week. Very big guest this week. We're not going to say who it is, but it's huge. It's huge. I'm just going to say one thing about this about this guest, and this thing is... This is the last thing we're going to say to you. Talk to you later, guys. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. <laughs>